This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller and Danny Nelson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is the best podcast about crypto in the world. And Carpe Consensus is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network. And my name is Benjamin Schiller. I am the Features and Opinion Editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today is the unerring presence, Danny Nelson. Danny, how are you doing today? You know, Ben, first off, it feels great as always to be on the best crypto podcast in the world. And by default, therefore, also the best crypto podcast in the Coindesk Podcast Network. But I've been better, quite honestly. I have, we're recording this on Tuesday, October 31st, a very spooktacular episode. And I have been up both days this week, 1 a.m., actually 12.20 a.m., to wow. get to the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. God, you really are uh, pushing the boundaries here. Uh, have you gotten any sleep over the last few weeks, Danny? Y- yes. Well, over the last few, the trial has become uh, the last few days a race to the bottom among the press corps, where we just undercut each other just to see who is, I guess, the toughest as to who gets to court first and therefore gets the best seats possible. And on Monday, it was essential to get there early, so I got I think three hours of sleep so I could get to court at one a.m. stake my claim, get my seat. Oh my God! One a.m. for a Yes. When were they opening the doors? The first doors open at 7.45 usually. So I was outside in the rain. It was raining from 1 a.m. to 7.45. And it's, it's worth noting that our dear former colleague, Sage DeYoung, was the first one in line. He got there on Sunday at 10.40 at night, p.m. at night. So he was just sitting out there all night long. I joined him three hours into his endeavor, and I did it again today on Tuesday, and it was terrible. So does everyone who wants to get in need to be in line, or can you save a space for somebody? Well, we've actually constructed a system, us journalists, we've the SBF press corps, we're getting smarter as the weeks go on. We devised a list system rather early on, so when you get there, the first person to get there in the day becomes, let's say, the, the line dictator for the day. They create a list, and everyone who arrives after that signs into the list. We usually go up to uh, around 25 or 30, but it, you want to be in the first 21 because there are 21 seats available for the general population in the courtroom. And because the journalists are always the first ones because we're the craziest, everyone, including just onlookers, comes to us to sign into the list. Wow. So, uh, dear listeners, uh, we are discussing the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, the fallen crypto king and founder of FTX, uh, which was once valued at an incredible $32 billion. Uh, His trial is currently taking place in uh, lower Manhattan and uh, is wrapping up this week, we think. So today, Tuesday, SBF has been on the stand. He's been testifying in his own defense. And you've been down at the courthouse, as you say. What did you make of uh, SBF today? Do you think he did anything to persuade the judge and the jury of its innocence uh, on these multiple fraud charges? Um, so it's, I, I would say not. He was finishing up his cross-examination today, and it was a brutal one. The federal prosecutor, Danielle Sassoon, she really put Sam in a corner 
made him not admit to, but reveal a lot of inconsistent statements. She highlighted places in his testimony where he may have been lying and did a pretty good number on whatever defense Sam had attempted to mount in his direct testimony when he took the stand. Now, it's never a good idea to take the stand in your own criminal trial. What The reason why Sam may have done it was simply because the trial was going so poorly for him, he had nothing left to lose. Right. I like the bit in the uh, testimony, which I was reading uh, from Coindesk Reporting, of course, where Daniel Sassoon asked uh, SBF whether he'd ever asked his lieutenants at FTX what had happened to the $8 billion that went missing from uh, FTX's exchange. I mean, we shouldn't laugh about it because it was $8 billion of somebody else's money. But that was quite an eye-opening moment when he said he couldn't really uh, recall ever instructing his or asking his lieutenants where this money had gone. Yes. Uh, One of the things that is definitely clear and that no one is refuting and perhaps even the defense is relying on is the fact that Sam was a bad CEO, right? If you steal money from your company, you're a bad CEO, probably also criminal. If you just don't really give people direct instructions, uh, don't ask questions, and don't look into things, well, then you're a bad CEO. You probably may also be criminal but he's definitely a bad one. Right. So we should explain to listeners, I mean, a, a key question in this case is, uh, is about intentionality, uh, not whether this money went missing, but you know whether SBF knew what was going on and he can be held accountable for the uh, fraud charges that he's uh, had levied against him. So um, do you think he's managed to tread a line here between coming across as the kind of hapless, incompetent CEO that he needs to present himself as and also a credible witness. That's quite a hard balancing act to strike, isn't it? It was incredible how little he remembered. He was saying, I do not recall, and many variations of that phrase, so often, dozens of times, from the witness box. When he testified on cross-examination, he just couldn't remember a lot of his statements, whether it be to journalists or to Congress. Any time that Sam seemed to have an opportunity to not remember something, he took it. Now, that might be because he just was a busy guy. He really was. He was working 20-hour days pretty often, I think, and just doesn't remember things. It might also be because it's a classic defense tactic to basically say, I do not recall, when faced with testimony that is uh, disadvantageous to you. Right. I mean, the do not recall uh, line has become infamous from a famous hearing in Congress in the 80s uh, with the Iran-Contra controversy with Oliver North, where he repeatedly said, uh, I do not recall, uh, you know, basic, basic facts, even his name, maybe. You're right, that's a familiar defense tactic. But do you think it will actually help SBF? Uh, do you think his decision to take the stand in his own defense will ultimately be seen as a good one or not? Well, I'm certainly appreciative of it because it's added a whole new dimension and a whole new chapter to his court dates. I don't know if it's going to make a difference. I, when I look at the jury box, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting to court so early each day because I want to be in the room itself, not in one of those overflow rooms. Uh, when I'm looking at the jury box and the jurors, I'm seeing a lot of bored faces, but I'm seeing a couple people who definitely look like they're ready to convict him. It's hard to explain how I'm so sure of it. It's just the way people react to certain cues, whether that's smiling and shaking your head after hearing about something really stupid that occurred. You know, it doesn't mean that you're definitely going to vote to convict, but it probably does. Some of these people are not good at playing poker. Others are, right? 
Uh, so while I can be pretty sure at this point that the jury is not going to vote to acquit him, the question remains, is this going to be a hung jury? Are they going to vote to convict on all accounts, on some accounts? Uh, what happens next? Right. So just take us forward in that. Uh, I mean, say there is a majority in favor of convicting him. What happens next? Then it's up to the judge, presumably, to decide on sentencing? Yes. Well, I don't want to get ahead of my, ourselves here, right? He, we have to presume that he's innocent until he's proven guilty. And as we record this, we're still days away from even putting it before the jury. Now, this episode will come out on Thursday. And on Thursday, we're going to almost certainly begin deliberations with the judge in the case, uh, Lewis Kaplan, reading a very lengthy charging document that jurors are going to use. And then they're going to deliberate. And I don't think that they're going to wrap up on one day. I think it's going to take them a little bit of time. Maybe not be because the evidence that was presented at trial wasn't compelling, simply because this is a complicated case with seven different counts. All that is, is a lot of bureaucracy, and it's going to take a while to get, all th get through all that. And what is your feeling about this trial and the wider crypto industry? Um, I mean, do you think this is going to have a cleansing effect and allow us all to move forward? Well, it will certainly allow us to move forward. I don't know if I want to move forward. It's been such a fun time going to court, hanging with other reporters, being in the room, watching things unfold, live event coverage, newsletter writing. It's been quite a time. So I'm not looking forward to life after Sam. What it means for the industry, I really don't know at this point. I've been so laser focused on the on this story and what it means for one person, namely Sam, for so many weeks that I have no idea what's happening in the wider world of crypto. I mean, a lot of people do think it will have a cleansing effect. It'll allow us to put the uh, last year behind us, and you know, it said that brighter days are ahead for the crypto industry, with particularly the promise of Bitcoin ETFs uh, around the corner and other green shoots seem to be appearing in the industry. So Danny, just to wrap this up, say you're going to miss the trial. What are you going to do instead? What am I going to do? I'm going to count down the days until I think December 4th, which will be the day that Avi Eisenberg, the mango markets exploiter, that will be the day that his case begins in SDNY. I've decided that I want to do the court cases here. So I'll be back for that. So uh, you get some insight into the thinking of journalists here, dear listeners, which is that we revel in uh, these trials and these oh, yes. revelations of salacious uh, details, particularly in the biggest collapse in, uh, in crypto history. That's uh, FTX. Also, it's quite fun to be in court. Today, uh, I had lunch with Robert De Niro. Uh, that's kind of a lie because I didn't eat with him, but he was at a table maybe 10 feet away. Was he involved in the SPF trial or a different trial? No, he wasn't. He was there for a different trial, not his own. And it's funny because one of the one of the uh, the marshals looks like Robert De Niro. So all this trial long, I've been joking that uh, that was Robert De Niro, and now I have manifested Robert De Niro. So this is pretty cool. Can you do a Robert De Niro impression for me? I'm not even going to try. Can you? Anyway, all right. Um, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much, Danny Nelson, who is now yawning from his lack of sleep. Oh I'm looking at him over a screen here, and. Uh, he doesn't look in the best of fiddle. Uh, I have seen him more awake than now. But thank you very much for all your hard work and for getting up so early in the service of reporting on this very important trial. So thank you, Danny Nelson. Yes, you, you know that something's gone terribly wrong when you look at the next day, think, 
wow, I have to be at court by 5 a.m. and think, oh, that means I can sleep in. All right. Well, thanks very much, Danny. And uh, we'll move on. So we're now going to play a clip that Danny recorded outside the courthouse. All right. It is 7.17 a.m. on November 1st. This is Danny Nelson. I am here at the Daniel P. Moynihan Courthouse for closing arguments in the Sam Bacon free trial. It's a really cold, slightly rainy, pretty windy morning. Uh, today we're going to be joined by David Morris. David Z. Morris. Yes, got to get it right. Morris. A former of Point S fame, now uh, having a stint at Protos, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Reporting David, on a trial. Uh, what time did you get here this morning? This morning I got here at a blissfully indulgent 6.15 a.m. <laughs> yes. And why so early? Well, today is closing arguments in the Sam Bankman-Fried trial. The I actually don't know who goes first, but the prosecution and defense will lay out the totality of their cases, such as they are. And uh, theoretically, it's an exciting day to be here, but there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, demand compared to earlier days, so we'll see. Yes, so just for to add on to that demand thing, uh, us in the press corps, we've gotten used to days where we've had to wake up really ridiculously early uh, to the point that, like, Taco, one of the, uh, the, the crypto degens who comes out here, uh, he, he was standing in line uh, early this morning with someone uh, at a subway stop with someone who was just coming home from a party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, l- last two days this week, I was getting to court at 1 a.m. Yep. as were lots of others because there's a lot of demand to hear Sam speak. Now that Sam's done and we're on to, I guess you could say, the nerd part of the trial, the crossing of I's and dotting of T's, it's only the hardos who are left. Apparently, and, and just to sort of clarify, you know, there are uh, overflow rooms where we get video and audio feeds, but the really interesting part and the thing people are clamoring to get into the courthouse for is to be able to see the jury, where, which you can't on the video feed, um, and to sort of watch a little bit of the micro drama of, uh, you know, Sam's family members are in attendance sometimes, friends, um, and, uh, you know, you get a lot more nuance and detail when you're in that room while it's happening. And of course, just uh, staring at Sam and trying to figure out what's going on inside his head is also part of the enjoyment. Exactly. And also, uh, David, you're a good person to talk to about uh, our little pet pleasure in the press corps. Mm-hmm. We're becoming uh, more prof- proficient and prolific drawers. Yes. Now you almost, I've, I've watched you, I don't know, maybe I would describe it as like an anime type feel. Is that a, a fair... Thing, like what, how, What's your style and how you draw? Um, you're pretty good at capturing faces. I mean, I, I'm trying to be... <laughs> it's funny to have a conversation about this. Um, no, I mean, I, I hope it doesn't turn out too anime. I'm trying to be fairly realistic. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with my same pen that I take notes with. So it's uh, pretty touch and go as far as getting, you know, getting things right the first time. But, you know, it's, it, it's become a thing because there's no photography, there's no video that's being shown outside of the courtroom. So, you know, A, it's, it's why we're important in the first place is that, you know, our words are the way that people are getting a view of, of what's really going on. Um, and then, you know, these, these drawings, they're gonna be some of the only records really going forward of uh, what is, uh, what's happening. And so I'm gonna take this opportunity to tell the Coindesk audience, and, but uh, I think I'm probably going to sell some NFTs based on my courtroom sketches to fund the creation of a book about uh, about the trial. Honestly, that's fine. Yeah, we, you know, I I would say don't buy it. This that's not investment advice, but maybe you had to help help support the book. Exactly. So, more of a more of a charitable a chari- enterprise, yes, you might say. As so often in journalism, uh, 
it's, it's be, all. We'll take your charity. It's dollars. all charity. We'll take your. We'll take your charity dollars for Absolutely. Charity. So yeah, so uh, sitting next to David in the courtroom. While I was sitting, it was a beautiful phrase. We could use the coin desk sandwich. Of the yeah. Coin desk I was sitting between David Morris. And you cooked up a nice little like diorama. I, I almost. did. I, I I this is my first actual attempt at sketching during the trial. I made this really cool 3D thing. That I've been very proud of, almost too proud of, because I keep showing. Um, <laughs> put it but, on the fridge. Yeah, put it put it on the fridge. Um, so we are all starting to get a little more. Maybe it's for me. It's I've been waking up so early. I've become loopy. Mm. People this morning. Well, I got seven hours of sleep last night, which is amazing. But people told me today that yesterday they were looking in my eyes. That man is dead. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. And after this trial, we've learned to recognize that look. <laughs> we have, and we'll leave it there. So thank you all for listening. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. So thank you, dear listeners, for coming along to the best podcast in crypto. And Danny Nelson, who is now falling asleep, is my co-host on this endeavor. And I'm Ben Schiller. And thanks very much for listening. And check us out on Spotify and Apple and all good uh, networks. And please leave a comment. Uh, we want to hear from you. Please get engaged and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye, 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 bye. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.